morning, everyone. Great to have you with us. Great to have members of the deaf community and Helen's hearing dog. Uh, good to have... I've forgotten the dog's name, but you're very welcome. Hope you enjoy the talk. Dog? <laughs> um, so there are some sermons I come to preach, and I just have a sense... You know, I'm quite excited about preaching them. And uh, this morning's, I must be honest, I was a little bit worried because it is going to be quite conceptual and theoretical. It's kind of laying real foundations about the kingdom of God as we're looking at. But then as I started to prep and as I've read through this morning and just prayed into this, I've really had quite a sense. I think this is quite significant for us, for the church, more significant than I perhaps had anticipated. And I've I've got a growing sense that this is going to be a prophetic series. So we are going to look at this series on on earth as in heaven, social action. And I'm defining that really as kind of working for the well-being of wider society. There's all sorts of definitions you could use, but that's kind of a working definition for me, just working for the well-being of the wider society. Uh, Social action and the kingdom of God. And we've called it here on earth as in heaven, which is, of course, from the Lord's Prayer. So, Lord, I pray as we begin this series, Father, I do ask that if you've got things to tell us, Lord, that you would speak, speak to the core of our being, speak to the core of the heart of this church, that we might radiate your glory in our time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do we pray on earth as in heaven? Why do we pray your kingdom come? Why don't we pray, Lord, keep us safe in this, what is quite a big bad world, until Jesus comes back? Because it would kind of be a legitimate prayer. Lord, just protect us, protect our families, protect our uh, marriages, protect uh, our children and young people, protect our society, protect our churches until you come again. That would kind of be legitimate. That is a, that's an okay prayer to pray, but we're told here to pray more than that. There's a kind of expectation, isn't there, that we're going to see something happen here and now. Your kingdom come now. Actually, I'm going to be speaking about worldviews this morning, you know, how we see the world. And... Um, Our worldview comes out, actually, in how we live. It's what we believe at a core level. And I wonder if we really believe that the kingdom is to come now. I wonder if we do believe that, or whether actually we're kind of living a Christian life, whether we pray this prayer or not, but we're living a Christian life that really is, Lord, just keep us safe till you come again. Keep my children safe, keep my family safe in the church youth group. Keep us safe. I wonder if that's what we really believe is the most we can expect. Or do we believe? Just ask you, so just as I'm saying this, ask, come before the, just ask the Spirit to speak to you. Do we really believe that God is going to move in power in a mighty way, as I'm going to explain, in every facet of society? Or is the world going to go to hell in a handbasket or whatever it is, and that's the best we can hope for, and we just pray for ourselves to be kept safe? 
I'm not, I'm not sure we live like we really believe. God is mighty enough for his kingdom to come in every facet of creation. Going to get into that. So, the answer as to why we pray this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is related to humanity's story, to our narrative. And again, to ask this question another way, what story do you think you're caught up in? What's the story of your life, my life? What story do I really believe I'm in? Is it, is it Paul, father, husband, trying to do my best there? I'm trying to do my best in my work and, and kind of just please God and, like I say, until Jesus comes. Is that my story? Or is there something more vast and glorious than the small narrative I give my life sometimes. You know, I'm just getting through. Never mind anything bigger. I'm just hanging on. Man, is that it? Well, what story are we caught up in? And the story we believe we're in is effectively our worldview. The story we believe we're in is our worldview. And this worldview, this story we believe we're in, it shapes, it's huge, it shapes our assumptions and our behaviours. For example, if you think there is no God, if we're atheists and have a materialist worldview, that this is all there is, well, that's going to shape how we live because nothing has inherent purpose. And effectively, we can do whatever we want. We can live any way we want, really, because nothing has inherent value or purpose. And, of course, if you tell, for example, young people, often enough, they have no inherent value or purpose, they will start to believe it. And I think it's one of the reasons why we have a chronic crisis of mental health issues in our society. Because if you keep telling people that there's no God who loves them, that we have no inherent value or purpose, people are going to start to believe that. No wonder self-esteem is at a rock-bottom low. Because if no one's telling me I am of inherent value... Because there's a God who loves me and who's created me. And he's got purpose for me. And I can walk this earth with dignity. If no one's telling me that, I'm not going to live like that. And equally, other faiths have a worldview different to Christianity. Faiths that have a worldview that the material actually is just an illusion. We're to rise above the material and suffering. It's just an illusion. It's the world is inside us and it's us connecting with God and whatever else is out there doesn't matter. Well, that's going to transpire in how a society that believes that lives. And it's no surprise that Western society, Europe, the cradle of Christianity, at its best, Christians have always sought to live for the good of society at our best when we've been at our best. So we're going to look this morning at a biblical worldview, which explains and unpacks the kingdom. I think it's the most coherent worldview, and I think it's the most hopeful. We've, listen, 
friend, I know you've got your mask on, but underneath it, or I know you're smiling your little socks off, if you can smile your socks off. Why? Because the gospel you believe, those of you at home, is hopeful. The gospel we have is hopeful. Come on. Glory to God. Yeah? So we're going to look at the worldview elements this morning. And actually, they're the elements that are involved in most stories. And we're going to go through the story of humanity, of the story of this earth. And we're going to see that it is a hopeful story. Just a couple of books. Don't often do this, but I just want to recommend a couple of books. If you're at all interested in kind of biblical worldview and um, the fact that the Christian worldview, biblical worldview, calls us to impact culture, I recommend this. It's a book called Total Truth. Uh, there's a few writers on this. A guy called Francis Schaeffer, superb. This is by Nancy Pierce. It's called Total Truth. And she argues that as Christians, we have been locked into a worldview where we've been retreating from the public space and we've become, you know, we've become confined in the small walls of our churches because it's a safe place. And she encourages us to believe that we can affect society and culture. Another book, this is a a really great little book. Um, That's quite involved, Total Truth, but it's a good read. This is by Vaughan Roberts. It's called God's Big Picture. And I'm going to use the headings he has here in my talk this morning. He traces um, this big story of the kingdom from Genesis through to Revelation. And it's a great book if you've ever tried to wrestle with the kingdom for kind of um, unpacking and seeing the wood for the trees. Okay, so that's Vaughan Roberts' uh, God's Big Picture. So let's get into this. So the first element of our worldview story is our origins. How did things start? And we're going to look here at the pattern of the kingdom. In a movie, this is the tranquil state at the start of a movie. You know, think of Lord of the Rings, Hobbiton. Everything's happy. Hobbits are there. They're having fun. They're smoking their pipes and eating. And everything's tranquil. What could go wrong? Well, just to explain, the kingdom in the Old Testament and New Testament is not just geography. It's not just geography. It's the reign and rule of God. So that's what the kingdom is. And we're going to start then here with the story of the kingdom at the very beginning. And these are such, the more I read the the first chapters of Genesis, whatever you, however you interpret it in terms of, you know, to what extent is it literal or, and all of that sort of debate, in terms of the significance of what it says, the more I read it, the more I realize how significant these chapters are for our existence as human beings. Chapter 1 of Genesis. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Is is that all of 28? Ah. God blessed them and said to them, and this is what's been called the creation mandate. This is the command given to humanity at the start of creation that I don't think has ever been rescinded. 
So here's the point. It's still our mandate as the church now. Because unless you haven't noticed, we are part of humanity. This is the command given to humankind at the start of creation. It's still our mandate. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. That word fill means complete or bring to perfection and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So a few things we see here, a few things to note. That in this untainted world, this is the start of the story. The world's untainted. Whether you believe literal Adam and Eve, humanity, perfect creation, Eden. I love what Eden means. It means delight or pleasure. So God has created a world of delight and pleasure. That's what he intends for us. But he has called humanity to steward the earth. So God establishes his kingdom on the earth through the agency of humanity. We are to bring, even at the start, we were to bring the kingdom rule Adam and Eve were told to rule. We are to bring the kingdom rule to the earth. God doesn't just set up a playground where he is the kind of overseer of the, of the playground and we're just to have fun. No, he gives us work to do. He gives us work to do before the fall. We're to steward the earth before the fall. We're to bring the kingdom to the earth even before the fall. Humanity is charged with this. Secondly, we see that the kingdom is holistic. It ain't just spiritual. This is such a key point. The kingdom is holistic. This is all, let me tell you what's going to happen here this morning. This is all stuff you're going to hear and you're going to go, duh. Well, well, of course. Well, let's live like it then. Okay? If we really believe it, let's live like it. Because My challenge is, I just don't think the church in the West, that we have lived like this. And I think actually we've retreated from a lot of our call. So it's a holistic gospel. The mandate would ensure that the well-being of humanity, if we live in every facet of our existence under God's rule and kingdom. What do I mean? Well, firstly, the kingdom is spiritual. There's a spiritual facet. We're made in the image of God. He's an eternal spiritual being. We're to rule in relationship with him, not independently. We value in our society, quite wrongly, to my, in my opinion, independence. Well, it was independence that led to the fall. So we're to value interdependence. We raise our, I think we get it wrong sometimes when we say we want to raise our children to be independent. No, we don't. Don't do that. Don't let them believe they've got everything they need in themselves. Let's raise them interdependent. Interdependent as part of a community and in relationship with God, most key. So, firstly, it's spiritual. But secondly, it's not just spiritual. It's material or physical. They're to subdue the physical earth. They're to rule over the earth. So, as we've seen, because we did a whole series on these, the environment is important. And physical well-being is important. 
So the material matters. The kingdom is not just spiritual. It may have its root in the spiritual, but it's to affect the material, the physical world. And I don't just mean, as we'll see, I don't just mean by that the physical environment. I mean humanity's existence. Have you noticed you are physical? Try it. Claire, turn and punch Richard's shoulder. You'll see he's physical. So our well-being matters. And the culture we create. Thirdly, the kingdom has a relational aspect to it based on the Trinity. I love the doctrine of the Trinity. I was saying to someone this week, what a great doctrine. You wouldn't make it up, would you? You wouldn't make up the Trinity. It's one of the reasons I believe the Bible's true because God portrays himself as someone wholly unbelievable. Trinity, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God. Hey? Look, God, please, just make it easy for us. No, I am who I am. And you need to relate to me on the basis of who I am, not who you think I am. He's a relational God in himself. Creation is modelled on him. Therefore, he has created a relational world. Let me tell you this. I don't, I don't know why I'm getting quite excited about this sermon. I'm more excited than I thought I would be. But let me tell you, We need to get this right as church because we don't do relationship like we ought to. And let me confess, confess, as elders, we have been talking, as elders, we have not been as relational as we needed to have been. We have been, we have sought to love. We have, I think we have got godly leaders in this church. We do pray. We want the best for our people. But in terms of our relationships, in terms of modeling something, At times, we as a church, I think, have been too organisational and not enough community relational. And we need to redress that. Because the task is the relationships and the community. That's what God wants. That's who he is. He's raising up a church that is relational. Not just has a good name or does good activities. It's relational and community. Genesis 2 is key in this. Look at what it says. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Listen, Adam had God. And we sometimes argue, I've heard Christians say it, you know, just to have God is enough for me. Well, I think even God didn't want that. Now, in one sense, it is true. I understand in one sense it is true. But what happens, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. God understands understood our best existence is going to be in relationship with others. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, so there's this, there's this celebration that he's going to relate. Okay, leaving aside male and female, he's just going to relate This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. We're the same, he's saying. She's flesh of my flesh. It's one humanity. Hey, ain't that a message for the lockdown seasons we've been in? We're one humanity. Now, we honour diversity. We love and embrace diversity, but we've got to make sure that we're one. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So there was transparency and openness and honesty, a scary 
openness, actually. I've always wondered about that. If we hadn't fallen, what would that, what would that look like this morning? Don't go there. Let's just not go there, okay? Okay. So, we are to exercise this mandate, this creation mandate, in relationships, in, as marriage, in our marriages, as families, as communities, as societies. Together is how we exercise this mandate, in cooperation. We're to work with others for the well-being of others. And we are to oppose harm to the vulnerable and weak. Let me say that again. We are to oppose, stand up against harm to the vulnerable and weak. Why? Because they're flesh of our flesh. They're humanity with us. And we're to stand with them. Lastly, this mandate has, the kingdom has a cultural element to it. I think this is really important. It's something that God's had me on a journey on on probably the last decade. That word fill, to complete the earth, to complete creation. Humanity was always to establish culture to complete the earth. We were to serve together creating culture. We were always going to create human systems. I don't believe for one minute that we were to walk, that our call on the earth was we were going to walk around, as I say, in our birthday suits, picking fruit off trees and singing Matt Redman worship songs. I don't think that was going to be our existence. We were called to steward this earth. What does that mean? Well, I think there's every chance then that humanity was to be inquisitive to explore this creation we were put in, to develop and complete God's world in the spheres of life. I think there would always have been spheres of culture as we develop this mandate. How else were we going to steward the earth? What do I mean? Well, let me try and explain. There was always going to be learning and education. Generations would always have passed things down. There was always going to be creativity and art. God made us creative beings. This is an encouragement to some of us. Again, I think in the church, we've been weak on creativity and, and stepping into the arts. Maybe that's a word for someone this morning. But God made us creative beings. Well, if all we're going to do is you know, just walk around kind of eating and sitting around and I don't know what else... But surely God wanted to release creativity and art. And here's the thing. I think there would always been a, a need and a place for manufacturing and, dare I say, engineers. Any engineers in the house or watching online? God has purposes for you to bring creation to fulfillment. Have you ever thought, I wonder how Adam named the animals? I wonder if Adam was a creative type. I wonder if Adam's approach to naming the animals was kind of random and creative. That's a long neck. That's a whatever, you know, slimy something or other. Or wonder if he was more a scientist. This might bring out the bent in in us, you know, what do we think? Or was he more a scientist than ordered? Right, I want all the four-legged animals over here. You are, I'm going to call you quadrupeds. I think that's a word. And I'm going to have, okay, nothing with, you know, those of you that slither over here and did it by categories. I wonder how he did it. But he did it, he ordered. He was creating culture. But this culture, have you ever stopped to think? I think this is a great exercise. 
Have you ever stopped to think, what would human culture have looked like if we hadn't have fallen? Because eternity is going to look like this. It would have been one of cooperation. Generosity. How far have we fallen? Think of things like, you know, sometimes the business world. Or even human society in a competitive cutthroat can be. You know, wanting self-preservation. But it would have been a society of generosity, kindness and love. Where we'd have built one another up. Where things would have been set in place for us to flourish. Well, wouldn't that have been wonderful? Well, have you noticed it's not like that? (laughs) Have you noticed the world isn't like that? Why? Well, because the world has fallen. Something has gone wrong. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because my time is going fairly rapidly. And there's a perished kingdom. This is in our movie, the villain comes in and things start to go wrong. Humanity wanted independence. It's called sin. And it's affected every facet of our existence. Spiritually, we died a spiritual death, the end of our relationship with God. Physically, it says the very creation groans. The world is under a curse. Actually, when we were worshipping today, and you kind of got up, Rich, and said something like this, that you didn't use these words, but I just had a sense God wants to say to some of us this morning, listen, the curse is broken. The curse is broken, which means if you are having relational problems or, I don't know, you know marital issues or, or uh, physical issues, God has a remedy. The curse is broken. But the world is under a curse. But it is broken. The power of it is broken. Natural disasters are explained by this. The world is in decay. But also human human physiology and biology has fallen. We die. It's why we grieve at death. Because we were never meant to experience it. Sickness. Disabilities. We all have a fallen sexuality. And a fallen sense of identity because of what's gone wrong. We've fallen relationally. Relationship with God and others is broken. And like I say, society now, selfishness is prevalent. So much to say in all these areas. And then culturally, we've created, haven't we, systemic evils. Racism, poverty, injustices. So the world has fallen. Okay, carrying on then. How, is, how are things going to be put right? How are things going to be put right? What is the restoration that we need? And we're going to look here at the present kingdom. Next week, we're going to look at our place as the church in this restoration. But for now, this is the part in the movie when the hero appears on the scene. And the hero is Christ. Christ comes to redeem all the brokenness in the world. 
He came as the Messiah, the king, the anointed ruler to bring the kingdom. Now, the Jews completely misunderstood what that kingdom was about, that it wasn't just a physical, political kingdom. Tom Wright, in his book, When God Became King, he quotes the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, it says, Jesus Christ, who was born incarnate, and then it leaps to suffered under Pontius Pilate. And Tom Wright asks, well, what happened in between the incarnate birth of Christ and his death on the cross? That's his whole life. What was he doing? And Tom Wright argues he was establishing the kingdom his kingly rule. He was proclaiming the kingdom. Have you ever asked yourself, what gospel did Jesus preach? He couldn't preach the gospel of the cross. Now, he implied it, he understood it, but he, but he hadn't died on the cross, so he couldn't have talked about the cross. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, this holistic kingdom that I've just argued for. And he demonstrated it and established it holistically in his life. He healed physically. But he spoke words of life. He spoke about the facets of our existence, about family and the priorities we have in life and money and all this stuff. He established a holistic kingdom. Chris Wright, I love this line. Chris Wright says, we need a holistic gospel because the world's in a holistic mess. So we've got to bring the kingdom to all facets. And Jesus died on the cross. We are nearly done. I apologise. I forgot to look at what time I started, so I apologise. There you go. Can't do anything about it now. (laughs) Ah, dear. Okay, he died on the cross Well, what did the cross achieve? What was the extent of the cross's effectiveness? And how does this affect our perspective on social action? Well, let me read. It's one of my favourite passages about Christ and who he is. It's Colossians 1. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Listen, this is our Jesus. If we're thinking that we are impoverished, weak, Feeble, we are in ourselves, but in Christ we're not. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He created them. He created them. He created the power bases of the world. He created the political power bases and the economic power bases. He's not intimidated by them. I don't know what problems you've got going on in your life now, but let me tell you, he's not scared. He's not intimidated. He created your environment and he's got the remedies. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. They're for Jesus. They're for our Jesus. They're for our Jesus. Everything is for our Jesus. He's your Jesus. And everything is for him. And you are in Christ, so it's for you. Not to abuse, but so that you flourish. He is before all things, and in all him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Even death can't hold him down. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
Listen, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What does that mean? It means this, that the cross brings restoration to every facet of our existence. The church is not to stay within its four walls. Why? Because the cross has redeemed communities. The cross has redeemed political systems. The cross has redeemed economic systems. The cross has redeemed religions. Because all things were reconciled. He brings them all into shalom peace through his blood. So the blood of Jesus does not just save us for eternity. Although that is the pinnacle. Individual human beings having relationship with him. But we are to live full glorious lives. Bringing redemption to every facet of human existence. The arts, creativity, logistics. Two people in here work in the area of logistics. The arts and creativity, Abby, as well as church operations. Kingdom finances. People marginalised with disabilities. We're to bring the kingdom justice to all these facets do i hear an amen in the house come on come on it'll be costly there's powers and principalities that want to oppose it that's for another day but spiritual warfare is right at the center of this let me tell you that so by the cross jesus has reconciled all facets of creation so that a holistic kingdom can be re-established The cross unlocks all of creation. I I believe that God is desiring to re-establish Eden. I'm not not being triumphalist by that. I think that's his intention. One day he's going to do it. He's going to re-establish Eden, meaning beautiful, wonderful human society where everyone flourishes. Okay? Jez, here's the thing. In heaven, Jez is a school teacher. In heaven, everyone is going to like you. Even school kids are going to like you, Jez. Because we're going to be so for one another and that we all flourish. And we are charged then to live out this victory and establish his kingdom. That's our task. Social action is part of that. Social action is part of that, working for the well-being of humanity. We can step into this field with confidence, believing God wants us there. I do, I really do believe as Western churches, we've retreated from the public space. You know, the world tells us, well, keep religion to yourself, keep your beliefs to yourself. No, no, we can't do that. We need to step into these places I'm going to ask the band to come back up. So there's a few questions I want to ask, a few thoughts to land this. And like I say, I just really sensed as I was prepping these, I just had quite a sense of some prophetic stuff for us.
Let me ask, has our view of the kingdom been too small? Do we think it is about seeing men and women saved and let's get them to heaven? Now, it is about that, but it's so much more. Jesus died for so much more. And because of that, are we ignoring the cries of the broken and hurting that need systems redeemed? Well, we need to repent and ask God to give us a soft heart and a big vision. Some of us have a heart for social action. Some of us watching have a heart for social action. Well, hopefully you now have a theology for it that says to you, hey, listen, this is okay to get on with. You get on with it. Everything matters. And some of us are called to the poor and the marginalised and the rejected and the despised. You know you are. But I just had a sense we've become weary in doing good. It's been hard work. Had a prophetic sense. It's like you've had a sense you've been banging on about something for ages and no one's listening. Well, it's because you're marching to the beat of a different drum. And it's God's heart. And I want to encourage you, step into that space. There is so much need. Maybe you've just got a heart for the broken and the hurting. Step into that space. There's so much need. And I want to pray for folks who feel called to this area of social action. And then finally, this is is a hopeful, I hope you found it, a hopeful message. God is restoring the world. But maybe some of us, we just see the world and we're we're just downcast by it. Maybe it's things in our lives or our families' lives. We just, we feel hopeless and it's just so overwhelming. And I had a sense, I think this is a word for some of us, some of us feeling hurt and pain at the brokenness, don't know what to do about it. And I felt God's word to you was this, the extent of your pain and hopelessness at the brokenness in the world will be commensurate with the hope you bring and the joy you experience when you see God move. Let me say that again. The extent of the pain, I know people like this. I've met with some of them recently that carry pain at brokenness in the world. That pain will be commensurate with the hope you bring and joy you experience when you see God moves. God is setting you up, laying people on your heart, giving you such a burden because he wants to move. Why don't we stand? And if you're in this room or if you're at home and you feel called to social action, to work for the well-being of wider society, to work for the poor, the marginalised, the hurt, the rejected, those that others don't look towards. Maybe you just want to put your hands out in front of you. And I want to pray specifically for you. Just invite the Spirit to come. Maybe you've become weary in doing good. Spirit of God, would you come now? Lord, I pray, would you anoint and refresh? 
I did sense that as a church, there's a call on us to these things. I think we've always been a church, evangelistic. We try to be evangelistic. I'm not saying we've done it especially well, maybe not well at all, but we've tried. But I think this is an area we're to step in on. Lord, I pray, come. It's going to happen through individuals. Come, anoint men and women in this room, watching online. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Make us bold as lions. You're going to need to be courageous because people are a bit antsy about Christians and, you know, some of our views. Lord, I pray, make us courageous, but fill us with your love that our love for the broken would confound the world. And Lord, I do pray, refresh any, anyone who feels they've been carrying this and they've become weary in doing good. And Lord, I pray, would you soften our hearts, forgive us, forgive us where we have been hard-hearted. Lord, where we've been content just to do church, to sing our songs. We love our songs. Lord, we cannot wait till we can sing again. Hallelujah. But Lord, it is not just about what goes on in this room or in our homes now. It's about the world and you want to empower us. You want to equip us and you want to, you know, eject workers into the harvest field. And Lord, as best we can, as a church, we're asking, send workers into the harvest field to see men and women's lives, men and women's young people's lives transformed. Societies changed, communities changed, the marginalised, the broken, the hurting raised up. Lord God, would you do something in our time that others cannot believe is going on? Breathe upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 If this has spoken to you, I really encourage you at the end of this service, get on the, get on the prayer ministry and, and let, let them pray for anointing. Listen, we cannot do this outside of the Spirit of God but we can do it with him. Amen.